0: Hey. Hey, turn up the mic and people, it is part two, and as I said, this is great one, right? No, it's going to be a great one, because myself, son, AJ, came through some more fun, right? So, we will be looking at and
1: then... Sit down
0: in the wind, the rain,
1: the the rain,
0: Okay, people. So, AJ, she's done it again. Hit me up and said, Hey, you want to check this out, right? And she was right. So, she passed me the horror crowd. Horror crowd. Now, <laughs> the name, I love it, like, ah, fuck, another horror film, ah, then they it's a documentary, so I'm like, okay, well, you know, I mean, what's this gonna, what's this gonna be, what, what kind of aspect of the genre is this gonna look at, you know, so I was kind of curious, again, watch it during the day, because Watching a horror at night, right? So this is directed by Ruben Pla. It is produced by Pla and um Ariel uh, Bratch Bratchfield. I feel that's how you uh I feel that's how you say it. I might be wrong. Um also Eric Miles um Sonny Dion, uh, executive produced by Luke Taylor, Jean Marie Pla, Matthew Helderman, Shaked Burnson, and co-produced by Hank Braxton. Okay. Um, uh, and Eric Miles and Brendan Rogers also work as producers. Um, cinematography is Drew Adams. Pla Ruben edits it. Music is handled by Chris Lott. Uh, we've got Ariel Bratchfield, Hank Braxton, Richard Traig. Um, we've Additional photography, Uh, Purple Planet also handles some of the music. Sound is Pla and Richard Traig. It is mixed by Richard Traig. Colour Corrections, Hank Braxton and Pla. Ryan Stevens and Hunter Johnson, also some camera work. The Grip, Hunter Johnson. And there's a you know I really enjoyed the end song, which was Scarlet from the Zombie Sunday. Right now, our cast, right? The people that we meet during this whole thing. We've got Lynn Shea, Greg Grunberg, Russell Malari, Ernest R. Uh, Dickerson. Adam Robital, Jeffrey Reddick, Oren Pelly, Darren Lynn Bozeman, Bree Grant, uh, there's Mike Mendez, Chelsea Stardust, Shaked Bernison, Claire Kramer, Lombardo Boyer, um, Ryan Turek, Sarah Nicklin, Cyrus Voss, uh, Craig Perry, Charles De Lazzirica, Anthony Farnat, Kevin Tenney, um, Spooky Dan Walker, Andrew Cash, Darren Scott, Eric England, uh, Adam Gersh, Jace Anderson, Brian Collins, Dave Parker, Sean Keller, Stacey Lane-Wilson, Sean Decker, Aaron Carr, Tammy Sutton, Jared Rippet, and Laura Boseman. Woo! That's a lot of people, right? It's a lot of people. Um, but yeah. You know, there's a load of people involved. And I think that really helped bring this thing to light. Now, the gist is this. Fear, the most primal of human emotions. Dracula, Frankenstein, The Wolfman, The Exorcist, Jaws, Alien. What made the creators of these films dream up the nightmares that kept us up at night? Were they as strange and twisted as their creations? And what about today's creators of horror? Who are the minds behind the macabre present day? A revealing intimate documentary from veteran actor, insider Ruben Platt. The horror crowd spotlights the Hollywood horror community, covering such wide-ranging topics as women in horror, race relations, being the weird kid, sparkling the imagination, helping each other, film festivals, and the dark side. And that's the thing, right? So all of those subjects actually kind of chapters, as it were. You know, it's kind of broken up into these segments, but not in an obtrusive way. It's pretty seamless the way it all works. And it is this fascinating conversation, right? At first, you know I mean? There, there is the thing and you think, ah, we're just getting a lot of people sitting in chairs and talking. But this is a little bit different, right? And I say it's a little bit different because of the way it kind of is all set up, right? Because, yes, we got Ruben talking to all of these people, Usually, right, it's like, um, you know, I'm going to say David Letterman, but it's not, I don't mean this in a bad way. But when you think of the way that set is, you've got those two chairs. I think now they're kind of opposite each other, right? And there's a big gap in between, but they're having a good conversation. But there is that level of separation there. Here... Your plot, right, You mean it, it feels like you're talking with your buddies, right? Because, you know, when you're having that conversation with friends and you might start off sitting in a certain way, but as you get more am- alert, animated, right, as the conversation flows, you move. Right. And you get closer and you're talking, and it's just like, ah. And that's what we see here. Right. So you really kind of get drawn into things. It, it, there's this level of intimacy. It feels like real, proper conversations. Right. It doesn't feel like this is a scripted thing, you know, oh. People are being given notes. Oh, there's these things that you're not allowed to talk about, right? They're just talking. They're talking. And that really does come across, you know, which is, I think it's great. I think it really works. And then you have them just, yeah, talking about these different subjects. And I think, I know it's something that I, I've been told, right? Like, oh, when you really enjoy something, right, you you get more animated, right, and so you're seeing these conversations, and they're talking about these subjects, but you can see this level of animation, you can see this enjoyment in everyone, I mean, there's a few people that are a little bit more stoic in the way they are sitting and all of that, um, but that that just seems their personality, you know what I mean? But it, it, it's just like you're believing what they're talking about, right? Because you can sense that this means a lot to them, right? There seems to be these threads that seem to go through everyone, right? When you when they're talking about certain films that got them in, right? You know, The Exorcist was one that came up a lot. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street. There was these certain films that everyone just seems to have grown up with. And I guess of a, you know, well, no, I was going to say, I guess when you're of a certain age. But I think we have so many different ages here. You know what I mean? So it's not just everyone in their 40s. No, there seems a different, you know what I mean? A lot, which again is interesting, right? Because you've got this microcosm of people within this industry from all different backgrounds, right? All different backgrounds, but they just all have this passion for horror, which, you know, ain't gonna lie. Mm-hmm ain't gonna lie I'm scratching my head at I'm like yo what the fuck man (laughs) you know what I mean but it's not that I hate horror you know what I mean it's just that it fucked you up right when they're all talking about oh yeah the first one I saw it's one cat that was like oh I saw this at free. i I'm like I don't even remember last week how the fuck are you remembering when you were free? my man, you know what I mean, but, you know, it's just all these crazy stories, and I, I just, I mean, some of the ones that I've watched, and, oh man, it's funny, I was talking to um, my girl recently about this, right, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, I remember putting, no, Mm, I think it was American World in London, I mean, they were both similar things, right, I just turned the TV on And those, (laughs) those were playing, right? And so now I'm trapped. Because you're just like, oh, what is this? And then it gets crazy. And then you're like, oh, uh, I can't move. Oh, no, I don't want to watch this, but I'm frozen. I can't move. So I'm having to watch this. Fuck. You know what I mean? And just the fact, like it as well. Right, I just remember seeing that beginning bit when the balloon goes down, like the 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 original, the Tim Curry. Tim Curry? I want to say Tim Curry. It's Curry Sutton. Might not be Tim. It's Curry Sutton, right? But he's the clown, the balloon, and he re- and then you just see the like yeah, the face and just being like, oh no, oh no, oh oh my gosh. Now, years later, I finally, finally watched that whole film. And I I think it was just the goofy ending was such a lifesaver. Because then that demystified it. I was like, okay, I'm cool now. I'm cool. I've tried to do that with some others. Like, I remember watching Nightmare on Elm Street years later. I did not want to watch that film, right? right, I got, you know, coerced into it, didn't work, (laughs) that did not work, right, so just, I would just remember being fucked up by this shit, but, you know, since starting all of this, right, these reviews and everything, I get sent so many horrors, so many fucking horrors, you know what I mean, it's like, just send me something happy, Stop sending me the horrors. But you, the amount of outstanding films I have seen, right? Stuff like, um, boy, Curse of Aruna, right? Shook, Slacks. Remember, wow. man, and we spoke with all the people behind those films. Hellbounder, Hellbender even, right? The Adams Family, how great were they? Right? Fried Barry. The power, um, boy. They live in the gray. Psycho Gorman. The cleansing hour. Host. Right. Blood quantum. Oh man. The scare package. Anthology. Horror noir. The Moultrie collection. Like right? there's so many. Just come true. Super host. Right. The power. So many awesome ones. The Seed, Vicious Fun, Slasher. Man, so good, right? So good. And I have missed a load there, right? This so mm-hmm. the ones I could just remember off the top of my fucking stupid head. But, yeah, there's awesome films, right? So it's, this is intriguing because it gives you that peek behind the curtain. Right. And and you're hearing from all of these people and they're telling you, you know, the things that got them into horror. Right. They're talking about, um, you know, like just different aspects of the industry. Right. So we get this interesting discussion around race relations, you know, and I think one of the big things when you think about that, So I've not seen it because, I mean, there's only so many hours in the day, people. You know, he's trying to pick mad horror films during the day. It kind of gets difficult, right? But the, uh, is it Night of the, the the Dawn of the Dead, the, the Romero films, right? Ernest R. Dickinson. You know, he was talking about that stuff and the fact, you know, he gives one of the, you know early films of, like a black lead. you know and, and the the way it, like everyone's just talking and it' like, yo we're watching this film and we're really enjoying the film and it's great. but then after the fact that you realize, hold on, yo, like this is you know what I mean did Mary's done something that a load of people would not do. I mean, so you know, you get these insights, right? Them talking about being the weird kid and Halloween costumes and all, all of these different things, you know, the film festival circuit and meeting, you know, fellow creatives and fans and just this whole community coming up and how everyone helps each other, you know. And I think that's one big thing because. And oh man, I said it to someone recently. I forget who I was talking to. I mean, you would have heard it. It was during one of these conversations, people. But the fact that I think you can see, you you can often see, I think it was Adam Buxton. I think I was talking, it was when I was talking to Adam. Is it's like you can see um a lot of the times how people enjoy working with each other. It kind of comes across on the camera, right? Like when you think of an Adam Sandler film, and like the Happy Madison crew, like Josh Whedon, like Kevin Smith, right? There's certain people, you know, that, that have the, the these same people behind the camera, in front of the camera, that just work with them all the time. You know, where you think of... um. Jordan Peele, you think of uh, oh my gosh, homie that did uh, Tenant, and he's got um oh my gosh, the, the you know the um the Bagangita, right, the the, the Destroyer of Worlds uh, that film Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer that the, that man there, like they work with the, you know a lot of people over and over again. And I think it's so noticeable, right? And so when you think of a community, like all of these people, and it's like, yeah, we help each other, man. We will give each other notes. We'll, you know, if they need a cinematographer, if they need someone quickly to jump on and do something, a table reader, blah, blah, blah. blah. Yeah, we'll do that. And I think that's always so big because, you know, when you think about, like, Man, you've got your friends who will ride for you, right? And then you've got those people who, you know, you think you're cool. And you'd be like, yo, you know what I mean? Could you help with this? And they are like, nah, I'm busy. I'm doing this. So just they won't return a call. But they want something. And it's just like, oh, can you help me out? You know what I mean? And it's just like, oh, man, kind of sucks. So when you see people come together, it's a huge thing, man. It's a huge thing. And I think it, it gives you this different, as I said, like, at the beginning part, you know, it kind of sets it, right? Because when you see these films and you think of who are the macabre motherfuckers making these things, right? But then you see these people and, you know, you just uh, willing to go above and beyond to help each other, right? Then we also, you know, they talk about their relationships and you know, you see them with their partners, and just all of this, and it's you know, the love, and just man, it's just such a nice thing, right? It's funny in trying to, you know, if it's doing these things, you 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 want to find, make sure you have, you know, the correct the cast list and all of this. So I mean, you you have to do a little search, right? Sometimes things come up, right? So you see certain reactions, right? Some people go, oh, this documentary doesn't teach you anything. I'm like, yo, listen, documentaries don't have to teach you stuff. And to be honest, a lot of the ones that profess to really don't. Because when you think about it, a lot of the times, the thing you have to do is just put in hard work. Not everyone wants you put in hard work. And That's what he said in this. I forget the dude that said it, because he's talking. You know, they were talking about success and the fact that there's a lot of people who he was talking like in this horror crowd who have got real big success. There's others super talented, not the same success. And one was just like, "Yo, you mean look, I want to say that you're real happy for your, your, you know, compatriots, but." There's a part of you that's just a bit like, "What about me?" And it makes you have a look at yourself. And sometimes, you know, the the answer might be, "You ain't working hard enough," right? And that level of honesty ain't that. That's a teaching moment right there, people. Right? You 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 want people to give you a cheat code to be like, "Oh, if you just do this and this." You'll be huge, you'll go viral, you'll be blah, blah, blah. Sometimes you just need to be told, you need to work harder. You need to work harder, right? But, yeah, the horror crowd, you know, it is a a very fascinating, intimate look at this group of people. And, you know, the connective tissue that kind of joins them all together which obviously is the love of the film, but, you know, horror, it it can be anything, right? It can be a drama, a psychological thriller, it can be a comedy, it can be whatever you want it to be. You know what I mean? Which is fascinating, because there's not a lot of genres that could be anything. You know what I mean? So you have that, but, Then all these other things that draw these people together. You know, and I think it's really great for that. Now, he also breaks it up, right? Different angles and sometimes they're outside and in different rooms and things like that. So it's not just sofas, but we get honest and frank conversations. And I think that's the important thing. Right? That's the thing that engrosses you, right? That, that, that keeps you captivated. When you know something isn't just, you know, tweaked and edited, trimmed and cut, right? Manufactured. You want something that feels honest, that feels real. And I feel that's what we get, people, with the horror crowd, right? This real intimate look at what it is to be a horror fan. And there is a joy in that, people. There really is. So it is out now, right? All your favorite VODs. Go check it out if you're a fan. Of horror, because I, I yeah, I I think you will be fascinated. Honestly, do people? I honestly do. And look, AJ recommends it. You know what I mean? So you know, you come on. How, how many times we've done this dance? You know it's gonna be legit, right? <music> Okay, so now I had the pleasure of to, Um, and clap, right? And hey, Charles LR. They right. so, yeah, like, right I think what oh, uh, but people. this was yeah. such a Everybody's great Right? as great friend, and the Right? i uh, uh, this this as a whole the so out, much fun so much fun <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Check it out so, let's bring it on Okay, people So, I am joined today By Ruben Pa And Charles D. Lazarica Charles de Lazarica. Ah, Charles de Lazarica. Okay, de
2: Lazarica, correct. Boom, it's a, it's a very unique name. So, some people sometimes have a trouble with it. But, uh...
0: <laughs> uh, I'm just so bad with names, I, I can butcher the simplest of names. So, uh, well, at least
2: we didn't butcher your name, Kevin.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: uh... Oh dear. Well, people, these gentlemen are behind um new documentary, The Horror Crowd, which, um, yeah. I mean, Ruben, like, I mean, you're probably best to explain.
2: Explain to the people what the horror crowd is. Well, you just finished watching it. You told me when we we're off camera there. Ken, so I, and they said, you like it. So that's always a good sign. But basically, uh, I'll just, uh, and pardon me, Charles, for that you have to hear us again. I know you heard it recently. <laughs> the summary uh, You know I was uh, traveling in the horror circles in, in Hollywood, Los Angeles and so forth And uh, you know make acting in movies. I'm an actor also and I was acting in movies And then I started thinking to myself You know maybe I'll just uh, start talking to some of these Horror filmmakers and see you know what makes them Tick you know uh, And so forth So I met up with my uh, my, ba- my buddy uh, Hank Braxton I get told him the idea he says, let's do it I'll bring in cameras and lights and sound And uh. And then we brought in his wife, Ariel Brockfeld, and it'll be my producing partner. And I just started, you know, asking people, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? People like Charles here, and they they wanted to do it. So uh, actually, Charles came in later because he was out of town, but he did do it. And then uh, they all lined up and, and, and answered all the questions, and we found out a lot of interesting things about them, you know, which are in the documentary, which you've seen, so you can, you know, mention anything that jumps out at you, uh, Kevin. Uh, and that's how it was. Just started doing it, and... Uh, Got it done real quick. Got, interviews were less than two months. And uh, editing process, another year and a half maybe, you know, and then started getting it out to festivals, got into 40 festivals, over 40 festivals, a bunch of awards, best uh, documentary, best horror feature, best director. That's the, tr- the trip. And now it's opening. It's releasing uh, September 2nd, next Friday, a week from today. And you can, you can actually right now you can pre-order it on iTunes, uh, Apple TV at a discount price because of the pre-order uh, scenario. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I'm done with the pitch now. Go ahead,
0: Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought it was really interesting on so many different levels, right? Because I think the way you split it up, you know what I mean? You're kind of – there's kind of chapters, but it doesn't feel – like obtrusive in the way that you've oh, done it, good. it seems to flow nicely into these different topics. I'm
2: and- glad you noticed that that's, that was very intentional. Have it flow from one to the other. literally, uh, you know, a lot of the times when, when someone's ending a uh, one s- segment, as I call it, it, it just leads into oh, well, you know, I love Halloween and this and that and, and oh costumes and, and, and you know so forth, so it, that's yeah. the way I like, wanted to do it. yeah
0: Yeah, that, that was that was great. Good, And then I think just the the energy, right? I I just, everyone, it really felt like everyone's energized and really wanted to talk about this stuff. There's sometimes you have conversations and it feels very scripted. Like, you know, they don't maybe want to be there. They're just, (laughs) but it's this, everyone, you know, was really just, you know, G'd up to really talk about these different topics. and everything. Yeah.
2: yeah. I'm glad you picked up on that because that's, that's clearly what happened because I knew and had worked with almost everybody in, in this document, all the 37 filmmakers that I interviewed and uh, knew them all Worked with good friends with Charles here. And, you know, we were, we were all comfortable, you know, we're sitting there on, a, on the sofa and hugging each other, high-fiving each other. You know, I'm, I'm in Lynn's backyard with her puppy on her lap, Jesse stroking it. So, you know, things like that. And, you know, sitting on a, on a on a on a on a lovely bench outside of barbecue with Charles here we're talking you know doing the thing it it was just very comfortable it, Charles what do you think how would you feel about the doing it as far as that comfort or whatever
3: um yeah no I mean it's I think what's interesting about the documentary is it's such a um, family affair in a way, even though you know it's mostly just crazy friends you know some of who are uh you know in bitter but playful competition with each other uh, others <laughs> others that have like you know it's almost like almost i hate to say it it's almost like this is an incestuous family in a way because everybody's so intertwined and so genetically from the same creative dna that, that sounds uh, really it,
2: creepy charlie
3: well you know we're talking about the horror crowd so
2: <laughs> oh right forgot sorry <laughs> uh,
3: but no it's it was it was just kind of fun to see everybody together that you would often see at parties or barbecues yeah. or screenings or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, kind of come together for Ruben's, uh, documentary and just kind of convey the love they have for the genre, but the love they have for themselves, which is not always perfect. You know, there's, there's dramas, there's this and that, like any group of people, but that's what makes it alive and a vibrant, you know, sort of like uh, examination of creatives, you know, cause I think pretty much everybody in the documentary is fiercely creative and fiercely has, um, opinions about things that they'll, you know, they'll, 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 die on any particular hill that they, if they want to, <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just, it's really, it's really funny. Everyone's like little fetishes and everyone's little kind of like sub genres and niches that they love to argue over. But again, in very playful ways, it's, it's just, it's a lot of fun to be with these people. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, Charlie's riding the money on that. These people really care about each other. They support each other. That's how, you know, I got involved with them helping out Mike Mendez on a promo trailer he was shooting. That's where I met James Wan and met this, Hank, and you know, all these people, one after the other, and, and they're helping each other. I'm acting in this, he's doing DP on that, she'll do, do lights on that, makeup on this, and then we all, that's the whole, as you know, in, in the documentary, that's the crux of it, helping each other out because you never know what we meet, where it may lead, and it's true. Uh, and then what Charles just said about sub-genres and so forth, it's totally on the money because it's horror, sci-fi, fantasy. It's not just horror, slasher, you know, chop them up. I mean, Charles here is literally one of the preeminent sci-fi guys. In, in, in I, I'm going to say the world, I'm not going to say the country. The world, he's done, you know, the Alien, he's done the, you know, uh, T2, mm-hmm. behind-the-scenes feature. X, I, I, I,
3: nothing to do with, I had nothing to do with T2, Ruben. You I saw
2: thought you worked on too. T2. No. I what did. Okay, I apologize. Well, yeah. Alien, oh, 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 Prometheus though, right?
3: Sure. A little uh, movie called Blade Runner, <laughs> um, you know. Oh,
2: okay. Sorry, I don't have your resume in front of me.
3: <laughs>
2: Spider-Man, I know you did that.
3: I did a few of those, yeah.
2: Okay. Anyway, I was just uh, saying how great you are at that stuff.
3: I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I don't, I don't take credit for something I didn't work on, so that's all. No, no. That,
2: uh, I wish you had corrected me yesterday. I forgot. I well, you're I mean. on a roll.
3: You know, you're on a roll. Yeah. I, can't, I can't stop you when you're going.
2: You know, I, it's so funny. I guess I associate you with T2 because we discuss it a lot, and then you, me, and Hank talk about... That this kind of stuff, I just thought for some reason, but because you know it so well, obviously, you should have done the behind the scenes featurettes on T2. No comment. Okay. (laughs) Yes, Kevin. (laughs) No,
0: I I think that is one of the interesting things about horror the fact that it does transcend all the genres, essentially. You know what I mean? You could have a horror rom con, a horror. Fantasy film, sci-fi film, thriller—you know what I mean. Drama, film noir, just yeah. There's all these different things it can dip, and then there's like probably films that people enjoy, like Alien or you know Alien, Predator, and things <laughs> yeah. like that. I <laughs> kind of have that horror tilt to it. I think.
2: Well, I have to interject right now because you know, obviously, it's a big segment on Alien that Charles is right. You 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 did you were in that alien segment, right, Charles? I don't. I, don't
3: know. I, I maybe I, I don't know. You blink and you miss me, but I think I'm in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> blink
2: and you miss me. It was human and Cyrus going back and forth talking about alien, analyzing it and what it's all about. It's a great segment. You just saw it, Kevin, so you know. Mm. So uh, yeah, alien's a big big one with us with Charles me and a lot of the horror crowd. Uh, you know because we think it's it's a it's a horror film. It's a sci-fi horror, but it's horror nonetheless. People think oh, it's just sci-fi. No, it's like a haunted house in space you know, there's dark tunnels and you got Tamskara Dallas going through the tunnels and the xenomorph is popping out instead of a ghost. It's a it's a haunted house movie of space for sure. Mm. So, oh. so-
3: I, I, I just I just I, my last short film, we were talking about like genre hybrids. My last short film Love Bite, uh, mm-hmm. is actually kind of a political satire set during the zombie apocalypse. Now there are zombies <laughs> in it and we got like top notch, you know, makeup artists to work on it. I mean, because I live. Pretty close to where they shot The Walking Dead, uh, all all seasons of it, all eleven seasons. So a lot of the Walking Dead cast and crew live in this area. So it's very when you say I want to make a little zombie short, it's not too hard to get people who actually work on Walking Dead to show up and and do you know their bring their A game, right? So it was kind of amusing to me that we we had like a really convincing zombie apocalypse.
2: They mm-hmm. oh, probably- they disappear. You froze for a moment.
3: So no, I was just saying that basically it was kind of fun to like have this kind of like top notch zombie apocalypse microcosm uh, allowing two characters to talk about like their political views and their views on the world and just kind of like, you know, talk about things that I think like George Romero would be interested in if he was still around today, because all of his zombie films were not really about the zombies. They were about the times Mm
1: -hmm. in which
3: he made those films about the political climate, the cultural zeitgeist and all that stuff. I feel like that's what a Romero movie would be. So when I made this short, I thought, what's a good, I don't want to make a zombie movie because I feel like those have been done to death, but no pun intended. But I feel like (laughs) that But the the commentary is what zombie movies are great for. When you can use that kind of like prism to like blast a message through or an idea through, but using the zombie apocalypse as a a background, I think that's really great. So movies like Alien or uh, other genre hybrids where you can kind of like have your cake into two uh, are fun to me. I mean, I think those are the best, or the most, the most appealing movies to me. Where there's something more than just the artifice of zombies, aliens, you know, whatever. Um, I like it when there's a little bit of extra secret sauce in there.
2: Yeah, I to- totally agree. And then uh, Charles is also very prominent in, in the documentary, uh, talking about uh, George Romero and Night of the Living Dead and analyzing that and and and, and all the socio-political uh, undertones of that, you know. With the, the first black lead in in a, in a horror movie, uh, obviously Sidney Poitier was the first black actor lead, but this is the first black horror lead. And uh, analyzing that, and that, that was that's like still and that that's like right after Alien, as you know, it follows into each other. It's
0: it's really interesting. Yeah. Well, what was really interesting, like, so, you have those topics and people talking, but then the way there seems to be this through line with everyone right? Because everyone has these like similar views on these things, but coming at it from these different angles. Sure. So you get these fascinating conversations with everyone dropping their points in, and it's just like, oh shit. Like, because I've not seen the George Romero film. Oh my god, you gotta see that, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, right? Because Night of the, of the Living Dead, dead. come on. I mean, you know, <laughs> this podcast, the amount of horror films that gets sent to me. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Some Really great horror films that I've watched. Yeah. But I don't like watching a horror film at night. <laughs> so I, I, I do. Oh, that's know.
2: interesting. Is uh, that why you watched the horror crowd just a little while ago? Because you were waiting for the daylight? <laughs> 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 yeah.
0: It's, 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 fact, like, it's crazy when. Because you have the section where everyone talks about kind of how they got into horror. And yeah. just hearing these conversations be like, oh, yeah, my mum, my mum bought me. <laughs> my mom, it's just like, that's very funny. <laughs> I just remember the first horror films that I watched and just, um, I just couldn't move. I was yeah. frozen because I just turned the TV on. I was probably six or something American Werewolf in London. Oh, it's a good and one. Then Nightmare on Elm Street a few months later. Yeah. And I turned the TV on and those were on. And I'm scared out of my friggin', you know what I mean? Shoes. Yeah. Like, I'm frozen in a spot, and I'm watching this stuff, and I'm just like, uh, <laughs> like I couldn't walk past an alleyway for years. Seeing like Freddy a- going
2: like this on the alleyway with his claws. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, Kevin, that you bring that up because it, it, there was a segment when they talk about the first horror movie, and you got like, you know, Oran Pelle saying that you know he saw The Exorcist, you know, when he was a little boy, and he was terrified for us. It was, you know, childhood. He couldn't watch horror movies, demons, or anything like that. And Lombardo says, Lombardo Boyar, a very funny actor, who was in Big Ass Spider with us, says, oh, yeah, my mom took me to see The Exorcist at age six. You know, like it was no big deal. And then Stacy Lane Wilson, same thing at age six. you went to see I was terrified. And then Charles, of course, when we get to Alien, he goes, yeah, I, I went to see Alien. And, you know, I want you like this. Why don't you just take over, Charles? Tell us that little bit.
3: No, it was basically... uh My uh, long story short, my mom, you know, was informed that I should, I should not be allowed to watch the film as soon as the guy starts choking, right? (laughs) Uh, The famous, (laughs) the famous chess scene. So, you know, everyone, this is opening night, by the way, in May of 1979 uh, at the Egyptian theater. So it was packed. Everyone was primed for this film. No one knew what was going to happen. So when the scene starts happening, and my mom was tipped off, be careful, she put her hands over my face, but she was so freaked out that it ended <laughs> up being very bad. And so wow. I saw the whole scene as an 11-year-old. And I was be- beautifully scarred by that scene for life. Um, but that, I mean, that's, I, I, my, my very first horror experience, I guess technically was Jaws when I was seven. And Jaws, is, you know, kind of rides on the line of horror, but also suspense, also adventure. It's like, you adventure. know, it's a it's it's mm-hmm. a lot of different things, which is why I love that film so much. But um, we were waiting in line for Jaws again opening weekend in 1975 um, in June, and uh, there was a you know there was a line for the screening that we were going to, but the movie was already playing from a previous time, and I couldn't wait. I was seven, so I walked and I opened the door of the theater to look in, and the first <laughs> thing I saw was that that estuary victim, his leg floating to the bottom of the ocean. That was the, that was the, my first image of jaws when i was like you know seven years old so and and i was horrified i was thrilled i felt terrible i felt great It was kind of like this mixture of emotions that just hit me and i I think that's still why you know jaws is my favorite film of all time because it just great film it it ticks so many boxes on a human emotional you know checklist that I, i just um i will always go back to jaws as my favorite just because it's you know it hit me so hard so early
2: well it's a great film it's so well written tightly you know it's directed they made the best of a bad situation with bruce the shark not working it's not working you know uh, obviously and it's a miracle what happened and then became the the biggest blockbuster
3: that's that's why that's why i own one of those barrels
2: that's why what oh you own one
3: that's why i own one of the yellow barrels from the orca barrels from jaws Uh because to me that sums up uh not just a great iconic prop from the movie but because yeah. it, it symbolizes the ingenuity of like the shark's not working how yeah. do we convey horror and terror you, you use it by using your audience's imagination and you just put like <laughs> a little marker like you know he's down there he's down there somewhere you're not sure where it's great and uh, and so that's why i was i went i really went out of my way to, to find one of the barrels from 1975 from the film and it was just uh so that's my one of my prized possessions this is when did you get
2: the, barrels. the barrel because i didn't even know you had that when did you get that when did i get it well when yeah when
3: uh, I got it uh, right after I moved to Atlanta. It was like around oh, that's 20, what I saw. or so.
2: I never saw it at your house. I go to the barrel. We've no, seen no, that. It, it's only yeah. been
3: here. It's only been here.
2: Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. Near the water, Atlanta. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, Kevin.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think that really is a big thing with some films, right? Because in George, you don't see the, the shark much, right? In the first Alien, you don't right. see Alien much it's for the, the same. first half. The, yeah. yeah, Predator. And I, I think you just build that suspense and it just adds that layer of just friggin' anticipation and fear yeah. in the viewer.
3: You know? Well, like, yeah, it's, all, it's also the filmmaker, it's not just always a case of the alien looks fake, the shark looks fake, whatever, and you're hiding it. It's also because you are joining the audience in a partnership of storytelling and imagination that I, that I love. I love when you can do that. When you engage an audience, you just don't spoon feed them everything. And give them a, a fully lit CG, whatever, mm. so that they can see it. It's like you let them. They, there's nothing more powerful than the human imagination, and I feel mm. like if you engage the audience and you get them on the same page with you in terms of what they're expecting to see, I, you, you can you can do no better. You know, no you know two hundred million dollar movie can can match. The human imagination in terms of like something in the dark, something in the shadows, something under the bed, something in the closet. It's like that to me is, is what I love about filmmaking. And, and this is a weird side story, I'll make it really quick. But I was talking to um, Hans Zimmer, the composer once, and I was asking him about, you know, are you, how do you feel about that one music cue from the Thin Red Line that gets used in every trailer? Every trailer uses this epic, beautiful, m- amazing cue. And he says the thing about that cue is it's only half a good cue. It's all, it, it's really just half a good piece of music. It's the other half the audience brings to it that makes it mm-hmm. magical. And mm-hmm. that that triggered this 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 mm-hmm. philosophy in my head of yes, engage the audience, bring the audience in to your storytelling, and it'll it'll be an, an accelerant beyond all imaginations. Like you can just come up with anything because the audience is with you. You know, they're mm. working with you to come up with whatever it is you're trying to create that you just don't have the resources or the money or the time or whatever to do. If that makes sense. I don't know. Sure. Oh.
2: Absolutely. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Adam Robitel talks about that very thing, too, about how powerful the imagination is. Like he's watching uh, uh, one of the insidious ones. I think it was Insidious 3 when the little girl's looking at that dark corner. Oh, no, it's Conjuring. Sorry. It was Conjuring. And that universe, and looking at the corner of her bedroom and, and the, it's a corner a black corner, nothing there she can 't see anything and then but the look on her face is you know the te- look of terror was more frightening than we had seen any kind of demon or ghost there, so absolutely the yeah the human imagination is more powerful than the than the visual image, unless you're going in and you want to see the stabbings you know and you want to see the slasher film then that's different, but I agree hundred percent with that
0: yeah mm. now. From, like, when you're on a set and, you know, th- there's a scene and that you need to show that fear, how do you get yourself in that place?
2: Yeah, Charlie, how do you do that?
0: <laughs> you're the actor.
2: I know. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> hey, you're a pretty good actor. Um, how do you get yourself? The script, I, I work off the words. It's a script, whatever. You know, I don't mean just dialogue. I mean the script, the story. It, I have to serve that script. It's not about, oh, look at me emoting. You know, I can really, I can cry pretty easily if I need to, you know, emotions, whatever. But I just want to serve the purpose of that of, of what the writer had in mind and the director. Uh, you got to invest yourself. You got to commit yourself. I mean, you can't just go half-ass. You got to really, you know, do it. That's why, luckily, it, I've worked with the same directors multiple times because like what I bring. So there it is, you know. I'm sure that's how most actors do it. You just got to commit to it and and invest in it. And, you know, some people, you know, they use past memories and some people, you know, sense recall, this and that. To me, I really work off the script and then I tap in. I find that secret, that little thing where there's, oh, this little kid is suffering and dying, just like, God, what would I, you know, if my kid, this and that, you know, you can use all these kinds of tricks. I've I've never done this, but I know that there are actors who are like, I need to cry. So I'm going to look at the light. They look at the light and then that'll make you cry. If you stare at the light, the tear's gonna come out. But, you know, that's just a very, that's a very external uh, kind of a uh, technique.
3: I mean, I, I think some of the, the the most successful collaborations I've seen come, <clears throat> act, like director-actor relationships are from just good casting. It's like, if, if you have not cast the movie well, it's gonna be a pain on set because you might not, the two of you might not have, um, a shared vision for what the movie is, or even a shared understanding of what you guys, what the tasks are for, for the day. So I think that if you put all your kind of firepower into casting, ideally when you're on set, you have very little to talk about other than maybe faster, slower, bigger, smaller, louder, mm-hmm. more quiet, like just minor adjustments um, in a perfect world. Because if you're on set and you have to stop everything to have a 10, 15 minute <laughs> 20 minute, 30 minute conversation, motivation in the day, you're losing the day so hard because you're talking about motivation and this character's childhood and all these other things that should have been talked about way in advance. I mean, if even if you're on a low budget indie and you don't have time for rehearsals, I mean, just go out to dinner before the movie starts production and just talk about it and just sure. get in sync with each other so that in the same way a director um, kind of has pre-production conversations with the cinematographer and sure. the costume designer, the production designer, do it with your actors so that on the day, it's minor adjustments, it's tweaks, it's yeah. nothing, you know, major. And that's, yeah. that's, those have been the best experiences I've had when it's just like finessing on the day.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. if, the, if the actor has questions, they should be brought up before you're on the set. I mean, you, dinner, breakfast, whatever it is, you should just, you know, say, I've got these three or these 12 questions, what's going on here? Uh, not like, uh, can we stop, you know,
3: Come on, you can't do that.
1: Yeah.
3: and there might be there might be times when the director doesn't know, and 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 yeah. I think it's fair to just be yeah. honest and say, you know what, well, I'm not sure. What do you what do you think? Let's Show talk me. this out. Yeah. Because I've seen okay. I've also seen situations where the the director and the actor are at odds with each other, where they have two very opposing ideas. But rather than pout about it and go off into the corner and sulk and be mad, engage that that clash, engage that argument, and perhaps a third new idea will pop out of those two. That neither one of you anticipated and that's that's even more magical so it's like i don't shy away from arguments you know i mean just don't try not to do it on the day of shooting try to do it ahead of time and so that when you're there you're like oh remember that thing we talked about let's let's explore that for a minute Mm -hmm. you know
2: yeah yeah it's happened to me many times when you was like what's your idea what's my idea and you merge them and you make this third idea which works wonderfully on the day yeah so yes
0: kevin that, yeah, no, that makes sense. That, like Charles, do you do you approach a feature the same as a short film?
3: No, <laughs> no. Um, a, a feature is a marathon. A, a short is a sprint. So it's kind of like you when you get into the the rhythm of making a feature, which I've only done once, but I can't wait to do it again. Um, it's, a, it's a it's a it's a slow burn. It's a it's it's like literally endless decisions that have to be made, endless problems that have to be solved. But it's a it's a much more um, measured pace because you realize that even though you have a ton of stuff to do in a short amount of time and you're racing against the clock and you're you're trying not to burn through the budget, um, it's just you have to look at it as like, OK, I have to keep my energy level at a certain level so that I can make it to the end, you know, and with my, my future crave that I made um, when it was over, I, I had become addicted to that that energy. It's like, I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to. I shot in Detroit (laughs) and I didn't want to go back to LA. I wanted to, I wanted to keep working, you know, but I couldn't, it's like we had to stop because we were done. But uh, with a short, it's almost the opposite. It's like, I feel like let's, let's get it done as fast as possible. And, and what was, what was really interesting on love bite on the last short I made was it was the first time where we actually kind of scheduled it to do two days of principal photography and then take time off to edit with allowing for like one more day of shooting so and that was amazing yeah. like that's I like that. how i will do it from now on i like is, that you have a cut you know exactly what you're missing what exactly what doesn't work and you can fix that's why when you hear these reports in the trades about reshoots on big movies like oh the movies in trouble during are doing reshoots i'm like no that's awesome that means that everyone involved is committed including the studio who has to pay for it to making it better it's like they've seen what they've got They know what needs to be fixed and they strategically, surgically target those areas that need help. And I think that's wonderful when you get that chance to go back and polish in shooting rather than trying to make it work entirely in post. Um, So, yeah, from now on, I feel like always allow for like a few days. If you're on a feature, a few days of reshoots or pickups or additional photography later after you have a rough cut so you know exactly what you're, you're going for. I think that's the way to do it.
0: Yeah I recently there was an interview with um Kevin Feige Feige yeah yes um and because you know there's always been this thing of when you hear this reshoot a film's in trouble right and he was talking about you know they factor in that they're going to do reshoots they're going to watch the film and then they factor in time so then they can go and add oh, yeah. for, elements that for marvel for sure bring the, the best yeah. out of the film. And I thought that was really interesting because, yeah, you, you were always under the perception that reshoots mean bad. But then, you know, after this, you're like, oh, that makes so much sense. You know what I mean, it, you know, it's, a, sure. it's a good thing. Well, you know, it's, it's
2: funny, because with the horror crowd, we didn't have any reshoots. But what we did do, I assembled it. It was, it was like cut and looked great. And Charlie had been out of town, but then he came in town for a barbecue for a few days. And we met up at a barbecue and then I shot him there and you just integrated his scenes into my uh, existing assembly. And it worked perfectly, especially the alien and Night of the Living Dead stuff. It's like I had other people talking about that. I go, oh, my God, let's just put Charlie in there. And, you know, specifically when, when Charlie's talking about this whole thing, watching Alien like that, Cyrus, my other buddy's talking about watching Alien like yes. this. And, and that's intercut. And it's like you think it was planned, but it wasn't. It just not.
3: Uh, was, was Cyrus doing this because the movie smelled bad was that yes, why he was, he
2: was cause it smelled bad no because he had it up here i'm not telling you said that he's not going to appreciate that he had it up here and, he, and then he would go like that if he needed to but he didn't oh, he just showed me this you know i see Gotcha. got bazooka right. joe uh, yeah. yeah uh but anyway so yeah so in case of, of this documentary there's you know it, it integrated perfectly with the additional shoot that we did with charles you know
0: so was the barbecue all the stuff we see at the very end of the Yes, trip? very good, Kevin. <laughs> exactly that, right. You irritated me with that. Does it looked like you were having so much fun, oh, oh, yes, and there was yes. all these conversations, but we yes. couldn't hear any of
2: it. Because we got the credits and the end music rolling. Come on, Kevin. Can't have the conversation during the end credits. <laughs> They'd be listening to the end credits and not reading, uh, listening to the conversation. Uh Plus, that's my daughter singing in the end credits, Kevin. So we're not gonna. Uh,
1: okay. Thank I like, very I like much. The song isn't I it good? Not,
2: I And, and the it's song. I it's called song. Scarlet. Like you know, billow, Scarlet billows. You know, blood. I got mm-hmm. and I gotta get out of here. You know, it, it fit. I go, oh my God, this is, it's perfect. Anyway, yes. If, if you if you do a,
3: a DVD or, or a Blu-ray or something, you should do like a you know outtakes and deleted scenes and oh, like sure. those little those little barbecue bits. Oh, Let's yeah. Put that mm-hmm. in
2: there. Oh, that and a bunch of other things. I would. I, I've sure. got. Some, Oh, yeah, Kevin doesn't notice. There was 40 hours of footage, Kevin, uh, that I had to cut down to 90 minutes. I mean, 40 hours, a little over 40 hours. And, you know, it was just uh, so much, but it was like, oh, my God, I'll use a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of that. And it just, you know, it, my first cut was like three hours, and I wasn't ever going to make it three hours, but I said, let me just, boom. Then two, two and a half, and then two, I said, not enough, not enough. Boom, 90 minutes. You know, so it said so flies. But a lot of people comment on, on the pacing is very quick. And, and of course, some people don't, and I don't, like, they don't like that fast editing. And, you know, some people say, oh, my God, I love it, because it keeps it moving. It's not boring. Because I don't like Dr. Henry's. I'm sorry. I've got to say that. When people put, they put the camera on somebody and the guy just talks for 10 minutes straight like this. Not for me. Hmm. Just, unless it's like, you know, Scorsese or Coppola, something really interesting going on. But uh, I wanted to inter- intercut, especially, like I said, with Charles and then Cyrus and the Alien and other people talking about comic books. And you got Bria Grant and, and Ryan Turek talking about comic books and how, you know, mm-hmm. Bria got involved with with horror through comics. And, and then, you know, it's just really... And, and and Ryan Turek, you know, first read Watchmen and I, it flipped me out. I, I didn't know what was going on with the penis and the thing and, and the dead dog and the hooker mother. I mean, you know... These, again, influences on these little kids and they grew up to be these filmmakers, uh, whether they're writer, director, actors or journalists. We, you know, we have Spooky Dan Walker, great journalist, uh, Sean Decker, another great horror journalist.
0: So, uh, you know. That, that was, I thought that bit was really interesting because the, when everyone's, you integrate the comic book. Oh, the comic books. Okay. Was, you know what I mean? A lot of times people act like comic books are that dirty secret, you know, when I, I want to pretend that I don't read comic books. Oh, no, that's no, for I kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, I thought because, you know, when when they talk about it, you'd be like, yeah, of course, you can see the connection. Oh, of
2: course, like, with cinematic, it's, it's, the panels cinematic, that's what storyboards are. Mm. Absolutely. I, that's why I, when I got into I got a big comic book guy, like since I was a little boy. And you know, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, Marvel DC across the board. It's not like one or the other. Yeah. And I was this is like a movie, even when I was a little kid, you know, six, seven, eight, you know, and sure enough, you're watching movies. It's like panel, panel, panel. So yeah, absolutely. It's that it integrates tied into that. There's no question about it.
0: Mm. And and where did 90 minutes then come? how was that like the sweet spot? or
2: you that's Wait. what it was it was a sweet it felt like the sweet spot right there I go that's it i'm not gonna make it you know 65 minutes or 70 minutes that's, 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 that's i'm not gonna make it two and a half hours it just felt just right at 90 you know just a little bit of this a little bit of that just enough of this not too much of that uh that's the way and, and for me if you can't tell a good story whether it's horror you know drama film noir comedy in 90 or less unless you're making The Godfather or whatever, you know, you could do it in 90 or less, believe me.
3: I, I respectfully disagree with that. And,
2: and I uh, knew that was coming, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead.
3: No, what's the saying? A, uh, a good film is never too short. No, a good, a good film is never too long and a bad film is never too short. Okay. And, and, I, and I think that there's a fighting way, a sweet spot for every project that could be 90 minutes. It could be three hours. It could be 10 minutes. Um, I, you know, I'm not gonna say the movie, but I saw a movie recently that would have been an amazing short film, but as a feature, it was kind of like, ugh, man. So you know, we're really we're not disagreeing
2: then, because I said that if it's something like The Godfather, you could be three hours and it'd be fantastic. No, it
3: doesn't have to be The Godfather. That's the thing. It's like not every film is The Godfather. The Godfather is no. like verified air of like you know top ten movies of all time, That's probably right. 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 Um. I, I, you know, I've seen three hour movies that are, are like, for instance, um, well, no, I'm, I'm not going to go down the list of three hour movies that are good, but I just feel like there are plenty <laughs> of good long movies and there are plenty of terrible long movies. Yeah. But it's like it just just find the right balance of everything. Yeah, and I then that's for runtime. When I, I read about people or I see tweets or whatever, and people are like no script should be over 100 pages. No movie should be more than 90 minutes. I'm like, maybe, maybe not. It's cool. like everything is different. Let let a particular story live its life. Let it be the length it needs to be, and that's uh, that's it.
2: Yeah, I think it's a matter of semantics, though, because we're not really disagreeing. I, I never said that no movie should be more than ninety minutes. Only I no. mentioned The Godfather, but yeah, there's a hundred movies I could, that are that can be, you know. No, but you two, said you said most
3: films should be like ninety or under. And it's like I'm like, well, maybe maybe not. I don't know. Let's let's just see what the movie is. It could be anything. Okay. <laughs> See, this is this is the horror crowd. This is us passing. I, I don't like, think we're
2: disagreeing because I did no, say that's, that. the thing.
3: that's that's what I'm saying. This is like the geeky discussions that the horror crowd has. It's like you yeah. you're at a party at a barbecue, whatever, and we start talking about something and we could we could disagree in this kind of weird, strange way where we are actually in agreement, but, but we but we find ways mm-hmm. to like attack each other, but like again with through, with love. And, and, and it gets us to talk about movies and create in a creative headspace. That's what that's what I love about this group of people. It's like you, you can have these conversations and you're not it's not personal. It's not insulting. It's just like, no, let's bicker about this. It's because it's fun to bicker, you know, and I, I enjoy it. I enjoy talking about like the getting under the hood of all these movies and TV shows and books and things and like really nitpicking it because it's fun.
2: I, I disagree with that. It's not fun. You know what the problem? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Anyway, go...
0: yes, Kevin. What what else? <laughs> I, I was just gonna say, but, but I think that's the thing that really makes this stand out, right? Because again, it it, it felt like you're all enjoying this, right? You, mm-hmm. you have a love and a passion, and it's not just you're there for the paycheck, right? Mm-hmm. And, because I think everyone. You know there's you have that tight-knit of friends and you have those sort of conversations where you 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 know you find yourself going no that's not right and then you're like hold on we're agreeing on the thing but you know but it's just like you're, you're arguing about a little nuance of something mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and that's what i think everyone can kind of you know understand can see themselves in that context and i think that's what you know really you know, jumps out right and makes this so compelling. Such a compelling what? Oh, good, good. What's like? What was? Uh, if I may ask
2: you, what was like some of your favorite moments or a segment that you really liked? And so I'm just curious. I like to ask people to to see what worked for you. Any particular segment that you liked a lot
0: or? Uh, well, yeah, you know, as, as mentioned, I think earlier when um, Ernest R. Dickinson is yes. talking about um, Romero. Yes, yeah, and that kind of thing. Because I said, I've not seen it, but the way he's just talking about it is so—it was so fascinating. I say, I really should see this freaking film. Like, yeah, you gotta of- see it. You gotta oh. see it because that's—it's
2: not just Ernest; it's also Charles. He, yeah, you know, and Cyrus, Cyrus, yeah. Charles, and Ernest—the three of them are doing this about Night yeah. of the Living Dead and Romero. That my was favorite segment Yeah,
0: it's like the conversation starts, and then you have these different like viewpoints coming in with their with their yeah. perception of the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, it makes it so, you know, compelling. And you're yeah. like, oh, damn. And then you understand the magnitude of what was done. Yeah, the impact of that film. Yeah.
2: I mean, Charles talks about it, you know, the whole thing. Romero just was bold in what he was doing. And then Ernest comes in and says, yeah, you're casting the first black lead. And Cyrus talks about the same thing. I was like, this is so cool. You know, I've never seen this before. And then it goes into the whole race relations thing, which Charles addresses it. And so does Ernest and Cyrus. Cyrus goes, you know, and, and when I was growing up in, in school, you know, grammar school, all my friends were black, you know. And, and then we got Jeffrey Reddick, who also comes in, who's African-American, and he's talking about, he lived literally across the bridge from Cyrus, but they didn't know each other. I found that so fascinating. It was like, you know, right across the bridge in, in, in Kentucky and Ohio. And then, you know, Jeffrey's talking about, you know, yeah, I had, there was racism when I was growing up, but you know, but you know, you do what you do. And then Cyrus goes, yeah, I was over here. All my friends are black. And you know, I, I just love that whole, that whole mishmash right there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So there was that segment, like the comic book segment. Yeah, you like that. It, You know, um, when, uh, oh,
2: good. Is damn. it like Russell Mulcahy talking about like Highlander and all this stuff?
0: Oh, but uh, Highlander is what, I love Highlander so much. I think that is such a great film. Yeah, And I always talk about Highlander because you've got Highlander, which is great, Highlander (laughs) 2, I don't know what happened. And then Highlander 3, right? And I feel a load of times people do a Highlander 3 where they try and revisit something and do it beat for beat but it doesn't have the same magic they they don't understand what made the original so like powerful and just ingenious yeah you but then,
2: it, then you have times when that the sequel is better than the original star wars mm. empire not the star wars is terrible but empire to me oh. i don't know but charlie may disagree it, to me is superior to the first one just in, in scope and, and Passion, the whole thing. You know, of course, I. You know, I'm your father but uh, no. That...
0: Empire is one of. I think Empire and now Rogue One. They're my two favorite Star Wars films. Oh, okay, interesting.
2: You know, and, and also and then you have sequels that are just as good as the first one, but completely different, like Alien and Aliens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because the first one, as like we talked about, is a haunted house movie in space, and the second one. Is the Marines in space Mm -hmm. but they're both fantastic you know so what do you think about that Charles
3: I mean do we have three hours to talk about this stuff no because
2: you can do it in 90 minutes Charles
3: (laughs) 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 I I have the godfather of opinions on this
2: (laughs) (laughs) no I know but you know what I mean about what sometimes the sequels are better than the original or as good in a different way you know sure (laughs) <laughs> anyway, Kevin,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> what was your next question? No,
3: well, you know, actually, it's a, I'm not going to mention the movie, but I, I just had it before this Zoom, I had a very um, not Zoom, their conversation. Uh, yeah. I had a very in-depth conversation with with a friend, a friend of mine, about another sequel that follows a beloved classic that the sequel many people consider to be either better or as good as, or but controversially so. And
2: It'll start with the B, the movie,
3: maybe. Yeah. Um, and, and we went on and on about how the, the sequel, while being a beautifully made film, fails as a sequel. It's like, it's a great movie, but a bad sequel, right? And, and that is what I think is interesting with, with a lot of films that get discussed as, is the sequel as good as, or better than the original? It's like, well, it, the, the filmmaker of the sequel might've selfishly made their own amazing movie, but it did not serve as well as a sequel. Like the whole reason of a sequel is to re-enter that world, be, you know, uh, reunited with those characters, kind of like figure out what more stories are to tell versus like a film festival where it's like, oh, here's a second director with a second idea on the same material. And it's very different. By the way, speaking of aliens, like I think the alien movies, even Resurrection, which I'm not a fan of, is kind of like a fun film festival in a way, because you have very different directors very different visions very different corners of that universe so it is like going to yeah. a film festival and seeing like very you know a yeah. diverse group of visions for these films whether they're, very they're good different. or bad is to be argued elsewhere but i feel like that that is fun when you see that kind of like you know patchwork of ideas but then you look at other franchises like say lord of the rings or back to the future whatever where it is mm-hmm. a tightly knit you mm-hmm. know trilogy mm-hmm. of films yeah. So um, I, I like the sloppy trilogies, I like the sloppy, you know, series of films where it's kind of like, I mean, I, you cannot canonically say, oh, this is this is the gospel of this particular universe. And I'm going to protect it. It's like, no, it's a, it's a mess. But let's talk about the mess. It's fun to talk about the mess. So
2: yeah, the there's, thing no, with,
3: there's, no, there's no bad side to any of these conversations.
2: The, the, the thing with Alien and that whole, you know, uh, series of films is that Ripley is completely different in every film. I mean, in the first one, she he, she starts out who she is, and she becomes braver and so forth. But then in the second one, she's this badass. But then later, she's she's like you know in this in the, in the jail. And then she's a clone, and it's, it's like you know all different Ripleys all over the place. Mm. Which I, I found that interesting. That, that not all the films are great, but I loved her character arc, so to speak. Uh, anyway,
0: yeah. Like, what do you think about? like long franchises because you know we, we you seem to get them a lot in the horror genre right? except for james bond that's the longest oh, i mean yeah. <laughs> which i
2: know charles loves <laughs> <laughs> as do i <laughs> oh, but, uh, but come at the end of the last one oh, we can't we can't tell people though some people may not have seen it yet it's too much I, of a sho- too much of a shock we can't true. really that to say the, but, like I, I kind of felt it didn't need to happen yeah, you're busy he He changes martini drink. I couldn't believe it. He had twist, not olives. I just couldn't believe that change at the end. But anyway, don't shake your head, Charlie. <laughs> I'm an enormous James Bond fan. As I, I, know I, I feel like right.
3: I feel like to use the a jaws analogy. I feel like I'm a shark in the water, and you're throwing chum in the water, and I'm just like <laughs> I'm trying not to take the bait. Because well, no, we'll be no, here for hours.
2: No, no I'm throwing it like this with my back yes, chin, and as right. I turn around, and there that's you right. are. <laughs>
3: We, we need a we need a bigger interview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but yeah, you're you're right, Kevin. Because I mean, yeah, there are a lot, of, especially in the horror uh, genre. There's a lot of long-running franchises. I mean, look at Halloween and how that has reinvented itself and 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 evolved and gone down like you know, kind of like the wrong side streets, but then kind of tried to come back. And it's it's a very unwieldy franchise but it's fascinating to me to, to see i mean a lot of people really did not like the last film um halloween kills right that was called <laughs> halloween halloween kills halloween ends that's that's the new halloween trilogy, Ends
2: right? is the last one
3: yeah and and i actually found kills to be uh fascinating because it, again it, it's not i think what people are expecting or wanted necessarily but it, it took some big swings some of those swings are <laughs> misses but it, it, it tried to do some new stuff and um, and it had those wonderful 1978 flashback scenes with with the the actor they get they you know freakishly look like donald Pleasants and their voice actor who sounded like donald pleasance to to read i I could watch an entire movie of like the 1978 sequences from halloween kills like that was fantastic but i appreciate that they took risks i mean people are 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 afraid of risk taking and when you're that deep into a a franchise where it's whatever 10 movies or however many films is it's like i feel like take risks why not you know, mm. people are gonna, the people who see Halloween on the marquee, they're going to show up no matter what. They're going to come see it in some form. The people who don't know what Halloween is, they might accidentally stumble in to see it and say, what was that that I just saw? But it, it might introduce them to a whole series of movies that they weren't, you know, that they, didn't, they weren't even aware of. So I, this whole notion of being safe to me is, is what's hurting filmmaking in general, but especially in genre films, like horror films, like take risks. Like horror films are so relatively inexpensive to make. Go for it, man. Try something new and different. I mean, we Ruben and I have talked about this before, where it's like, if you have a hit horror movie, like say The Conjuring, and you're not part of The Conjuring team, you're some other filmmaker, but you're mm-hmm. thinking, oh man, they made The Conjuring and it was a hit, so I'm going to make my own version of The Conjuring. No, don't do that. Go to, mm-hmm. go to other territory that's not been covered and, and stake your claim there and then make that your world you know and then you might hit gold and you might you might have your own franchise but don't try to copy what you've just seen a year ago
0: yeah i mean we we definitely see that a lot in every genre where people try and think oh that's the magic formula Let my own version of that and it just it never works
2: yeah well you got people like ari oster who just he just asked her who just you know took horror in a whole different direction you know, we were talking about this yesterday, Charles and I, it's like, you know, that's really, really interesting, unique filmmaking, uh, the things he's done. Uh, and I mean, there's other filmmakers, too, of course. But and, and what James Wan did with, uh, you know, Malignant, way different from Insidious and Conjuring. That, that, I mean, that was obviously the film is, is what it is. It's, it's I don't want to talk about it too much because a lot of people haven't seen it. But that was like, people thought, oh, it's going to be another Insidious or another Conjuring. It's like, no, it isn't. Very, very different. And that's, that's great, doing that kind of thing. And then he goes and does, the, you know, Aquaman. Or whatever, you know. <laughs> Good for him.
3: Yeah. That's your little indie movie.
2: A little, a little indie movie. Well, that's actually the, the best of both worlds. The guy can do studio films. You know, He's done several. And then he goes and does, I'm going to do Malignant and turn horror upside down like I did with Insidious. And then when I did it again with the country, so that's really, and I don't want to go on and on about James, but that's exactly what he's done. And you got people like Darren Bounceman, who I said, I mentioned this before. He's, he, to me, he is a Renaissance man in horror because he, I mean, he'll make, you know, the Saw franchise four, which he's done. And, you know, that's, that's big, you know, Devil's Carnival and Repo Genetic Opera, these bizarre musical uh, movies, horror movies that people go, what the hell is that? But well, some people love it. Like my daughter loves Repo genetic opera, and um, and he talks about how that, he was, he was so influenced in the documentary, the horror crowd, he was so influenced by early horror musicals, Rocky Horror, and The Apple, and Phantom of the Paradise, which I love, and I love Rocky too, but those influenced him to saying, yeah, when I grew up, I want to make horror musicals too, and you got Mike Mendez, who makes horror comedies a lot, He does, you know, Big Ass Spider, Love Valancela, Don't Kill It, Charles and I were talking yesterday about "Don't Kill It." How what a hilarious horror movie that is! And Dolph Lundgren is a riot. And Charlie was saying, Charles, the audience when you saw when you saw it." I'm sorry, Ruben, you,
3: you froze there. But I, what I think you're oh. asking me is about the, about the screening that I went to. Yes, correct. Um, yeah, no, it was it was it was great because like I, I was there to support Mike and, and mm-hmm. to see his new movie, but I was not. I wasn't sure what to expect
1: because
3: mm-hmm. uh, that's the thing about Mike is that he, he he's he's very versatile. And he's always going for the humor, but you never know from which angle he's going to come at it sure. right? with. Sure. And, and the first 15 or 20 minutes of Don't Kill It, when I saw it at, at I think it was the Chinese theater in, in Hollywood, uh, it, it brought the house down. I mean, you, he hooked the audience so quickly and in such a fun mm-hmm. way that mm-hmm. you were with it for the rest of it through the ups mm-hmm. and downs and the, and the peaks and valleys of it. You were mm-hmm. with it because he, he just sort of brought you into his world so quickly, but in a fun way. A lot of horror films aren't fun um, you know I think it's easier to to make a, a gruesome grisly you know ugly horror film than it is to do something that's, that engages the audience and, and Mike I think really did an amazing job of, of really capturing everyone's you know goodwill toward yeah. his filmmaking
2: Yeah talking about comedy Greg Grumberg who's also in the horror, uh, in the horror crowd and, and in, in big ass spider he's the main guy in that and he talks about in the documentary how humor is so important to him. Any movie he's in, any project, TV show, he tries to inject humor because if it's just like flat and it's all dry and, and, and all drama, and it's just, he just tunes out like that. You know, I agree. I, you know, yeah, you know, sometimes certain parts of the movie are so like, you know, you can't be making jokes or whatever, but you got to inject it somewhere. You got to relieve that audience because if it's all, huh, 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 the audience is like, you know, you got to give them that release, that sense of release. And the humor is a big way of doing it.
3: I, I think every single, well, not every single, but most of the, <laughs> of the big, of the, yeah, I gotta, I gotta yeah, watch that. <laughs> yeah, I gotta watch that. No, <laughs> I, I think most of the big classic horror films that I love have, have a very strong element of humor in it. I mean, I'm... The Exorcist has humor in it. The Exorcist 3 oh has tons God, of humor God. in it. Oh my God. Um, Dawn of the Dead has tons of humor in it. I mean, it's like all of these, The Shining has humor oh. in it. Um, you <laughs> well, know, it's, like, it's like all of these films <laughs> have humor because... You need you need that to not only let the audience breathe a bit, yeah. but to then throw them off guard, so that when you do, do come back with the scare, it really gets them. You know that's what that's what. By the way, going back to Jaws, Jaws is brilliant oh, about balancing humor and terror. Funny. It's like right when you think it's scary, it gets funny, but then you're caught off guard when it gets scary again. Yeah, yeah. So like that to me is like the dance you have to play. The, with when the they're going
2: back and forth, you know, Quint and, and Hooper and, you know, comparing the the scars and the thing and, the, and I hate you. And, the, you know, he's pushing them around and then the shark jumps out, you know. You're cracking up and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. 100% and, agree. And the humor
3: gets you to care about the characters too. That's the other thing. It's like it creates a human connection with these characters so that when they are in peril, and they are, they are, the you know, the killer is right outside the door or the monster is right outside the door or whatever. It's like you care about them because you've laughed with them. You've, you've, you've broken bread in a way with, with those characters and, and you you worry about them. And that's what great compelling horror filmmaking is, I believe.
0: 100%. And don't you think as well, it kind of helps it connect with the audience in a way that it feels realer. Because, you know, in, like in real life, there's those serious moments and then sometimes someone makes a joke, right? That oh, never yeah. happens with me and Charles. Never. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's straight serious with you guys all the time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> We're quibsters. <laughs> no, yes, seriously though, yes, hundred percent. It, it's, mm. it's more the, the audience, the, the people can relate to it, tune in to it, go. Yeah, you yeah, know, of course, humor is such a integral part of, of people's lives. I mean, it's, you can't live a life without any humor, you
0: know. Yeah, I, I kind of feel that's what made Blade the success it was. And when you like look at there's I think Blade kind of came out when the comic book films were taking a bit of a slide again. And then Blade came, and I feel Blade invented bullet time, not the Matrix, but Blade came. Invented, invented what was it? What? Bullet time.
2: Bullet time is you mean dodging
3: bullet time is the is the the effect in the Matrix when you know Neo is like okay doing yeah the, I was gonna say yeah, dodging
2: yeah. bullets okay yeah, yeah I didn't know what's called bullet time interesting why bullet time I, I don't know because okay. time
3: time warps time oh, oh okay. elastic okay you know yeah.
2: so it's bullet time warp okay I got it
0: <laughs> but yeah but, but blade it it was like you know, it, it's this zombie vampires and, you know, all of this. But then there was some, there was a load of laughs in both. Yeah, sure. Well, he's funny.
2: He's very really <laughs> funny. He's a badass, you know, killer badass, but I, he's as funny as hell. And then when you got, you know, Ryan Reynolds coming in on the next one, forget about it, you know, he's hilarious. You know, he was, he was doing his pre-Deadpool uh, shtick yeah. there, literally, <laughs> literally, literally, and uh, that was hilarious. So, yeah, humor, humor, humor. <laughs>
3: I believe it was the first time a Marvel character actually got like, oh yeah, they got it right. Because I, oh. I'm, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm, I'm getting my Marvel history wrong, the first actual like real big studio theatrical Marvel movie was Howard the Duck in 1987. That's correct,
2: actually. That's mm. correct.
3: So obviously that was not the best launch for the Marvel brand in, no. in big filmmaking. No. No. But <laughs> Blade seemed to be the first one that kind of got it right, or at least yeah. right enough that people yeah. say, "Oh, this is cool. I want more of it." People took it seriously, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I. Blade, I think Blade was the thing that really kicked off the comic book movie, kind of. Because then you got X-Men, Spider-Man, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it just all kind of, you know.
2: I mean, t- Superman, Chris Reeves' Superman, the Richard Donner, that was obviously was before that, but yeah. there was a big gap. Don't you yeah. agree, Charlie? There was a gap until yeah i mean there was
3: bat there's batman in 1989 and and all that was that was huge obviously that was like the biggest movie in the world at the time so like there Mm -hmm. were there were definitely like you know milestones Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. the the onslaught of comic book movies that we're still experiencing today but it it was it was kind of more uh filmmaker like i don't want to say auteur that's a that's a lofty word but i feel like it was more filmmaker driven it wasn't franchise driven as as it is now Mm -hmm. where you do have like a kevin feige who oversees everything you know Mm -hmm. um but yeah, I, I definitely think you, you might be right about Blade being sort of like the first marker of like the modern comic book era. Um, sure.
1: Yeah.
3: Because now there's no going back. That, that genie's never going back in that bottle. Um,
2: <laughs> not for a long time, if at all. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It is, it is the modern Western. We're going to have like, you know, decades of comic book movies, you know. Sure. Sure. Good, bad, not otherwise. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I, by the way, I, horror, I, horror to me is an evergreen franchise. Like, horror will never go away. Because it's so easy to reinvent and so easy. I'm not saying it's easy to make the film, but it's easy to conceptually come up with new things for an entire generation of filmmakers and fans to like embrace, discover, learn, you know, evolve with this genre. Because horror depends on other genres and other points of view and other perspectives to live. But it does. It does. Everyone can kind of come to horror like. Ruben and I were talking about this yesterday. Was that if you look at really some of the big classic movie horror movies, those films were the first foray into horror for those directors. Yeah. So yeah. It's like yep. Ridley yeah. Scott making Alien, Toby Hooper making Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yeah, Andy Kubrick making The Shining. It's like you look at some of these, you know, Richard Donner making The Omen. It's like you look yeah. at some of these yeah. really big George Romero Night of the Living Dead. I can keep going, it's like there's, there's so many of these, these classic, classic, classic horror films mm-hmm. and it was the first horror film that those filmmakers had made and I think that's fascinating because so many people today feel like oh you have to have made horror to make horror it's like no you don't you can come from any walk of life any previous genre you've explored anything that you've done in life can inform a new point of view on horror and that's why I feel like the that genre will, will never die because it's, it's kind of got so many different ways that people can enter it and tell a story that we've not seen before whereas mm-hmm. comic books you know it's, it's like yeah there's a there's a deep bench of comic book char- characters out there that you can explore and 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 reinvent and sequelize and whatever but you're not necessarily getting new perspectives on it you're getting new versions of the same thing that we've seen over and over again whereas horror thrives when like new voices come into it in my opinion
0: very true i agree yeah. i mean but yeah i'd say for the most part right i do follow <laughs> <laughs> no, I do think Wait, what he disagrees <laughs> with you, Charlie. See, it's not just it's not just just you and me. It's a okay, Go ahead, Kevin. What? No, no, no. Because you know when we had Sam Raimi's Spider Man, that, that I thought the first, yeah, the first two were great, right? Then they tried to reboot it again with the Amazing Spider Man. I forget who directed those ones. Mark
3: Webb. Yeah, I, I worked. I worked on both of those. So, yeah. Yes. To <laughs> so be careful and, what you say.
0: So, So, no, so you, so you I,
2: definitely worked on those two, though, right?
3: I worked on on Raimi Spider-Man 2 and Mark Webb's Spider-Man Amazing 1 and 2. Yes. Got it.
1: <laughs>
0: no, I, I they were good films, but I think they probably came too soon after the Rami ones. Because I think people didn't maybe accept Garfield as much as Spider-Man.
2: Yeah, I I don't want to digress into into Spidey and, and all that, but but by, by the way, it's Sam Raimi, just so you know, in case you ever talk to him, it's Raimi. Not Rammy. Uh yeah, a lot of people didn't accept Andrew Garfield. I had a problem with him. He's a really good actor, as you mm. and I have discussed, Charles. But he's not the, the comic book Peter Parker. Just Peter Parker isn't this cool cat. And you know, t- he was just so he was like the Fonz. Toby, you know, uh, Toby <laughs> Maguire. Well he was. He was like the Fonz to me. Toby Maguire had that captured that nerdy thing and and uh and definitely, you know, uh totally. Totally. Tom, I'm all in it. I mean, he's he may be the best, you know. Hooper, uh, Hooper <laughs> Toby Hooper, Tobey Maguire was really good too. But this guy, and I know Charles, that you like Garfield as an actor, and I do too. But no, no, no I,
3: no, I, I, think all three of them uh, had very unique takes on the character that yeah. that I, I appreciated. I'll just say this: whatever I, whatever I think of each actor's, you know, reign as Spider-Man, the last one, I think Andrew Garfield was the MVP of that one. I think he was fantastic in this last Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. Oh that no! He, yeah. he redeemed. He, he kind of whatever issues you had with him in his two movies, he redeemed and took the ball even further down the field. It's like it was amazing—no pun intended—that <laughs> that, that he was able to take a version of Spider-Man that a lot of people you know might have had issues with, and suddenly make him so endearing and heroic, and you and you you know almost you know you almost cry at some of his moments. Yeah. In, in a lot of pathos
0: movie. in that, yeah. yeah,
3: yeah.
0: But that that's the thing. I think John Watt. Came in and brought a different kind of skew on Spider-Man, like he kind of reinvented that story a little bit and that that part of the universe. So I think you, th- depending on you the mean di- that part of the
2: multiverse,
0: I, Well, yes, yeah. <laughs> Come on, yeah. Charlie. Come on, Charlie. Depending on the, the the director and the scope they're given, I think comic books could do what horror does but i think you're right horror has probably that that bigger playing field to be able to mess around and and bring us these really crazy reinvent
2: things. yeah
3: but but the thing is like you can with comic book movies you kind of need a brand name comic book character for the most part occasionally it gets something like robocop that's not based on a comic book character but Uh, an existing comic book IP but is still Mm -hmm. obviously influenced by comic books Mm -hmm. and yet Robocop is amazing and like this beautifully Mm -hmm. self-contained universe and character and all that that's a rarity with comic book films usually you need someone that you've already read in comic books or has been in previous movies or animation or whatever horror you can roll out any number of new characters and 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 get a fair chance get a fair shot with the audience you can have a new slasher with a new mask and a new weapon or whatever it is but you can keep doing that and it's embraced if it's a good movie and it's a good yeah. com- good concept and it's compellingly made people will buy into it It doesn't need to be jason or michael myers or freddy krueger again mm-hmm. it can mm-hmm. be you know mr x or whatever and he comes in with this thing and or her, her thing and you think oh wow there's a new character and i'll, I'll embrace it whereas in comical movies you kind of need to be a previously established character for the most part, I, I believe. Yeah, um, it's and it's a shame best. because I do believe there are opportunities in comic book movies to do something new, but it's like then the studio's going to say, "Well, what's what's the what's the pre-existing market for this? Who, who's the audience for this? I'm, I'm curious about Stallone's new movie, uh, Samaritan. I want to we'll see, see that. If, if, that yeah. if that connects, because uh, I don't know if it will or not, but if it does, then maybe there's a chance for new comic book characters to, like original comic book characters to come into the the genre, or the, or the, you know, that world, but again, well, the, the boys hard, more welcoming of that.
2: The boys is a prime example of that. You know, I, mean, I know that's existing comic book characters, but yeah. when people saw that, they go, "What is this?" It's almost like the Watchmen back in the '80s when that came out, the comic book and later the movie. People go, "It was just turning the world upside down, the, the, the hero world into these crazy characters." And now the the boys have done it even further. I mean, you know, some um, Samaritan, Highland. Highlander, Homelander, <laughs> is a great character, and 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 this guy does an amazing job with was it. Was Anthony uh, a-
3: a- a- Anthony Starr uh, oh, is Homelander, and he's one of the best comic villains of all time. I mean, okay. Of all time, I mean, the boys I mean, is an amazing show.
2: Yeah, it's great. It's great.
3: And um, it, in many ways, it's kind of the Watchmen show that I wish we got. Even though I have to say, yeah. Damon Lindelof's Watchmen series was. Amazing! I was not expecting that at all because Watchmen, the movie, I had some issues with. I'm a huge fan of the book, and and the yeah. movie felt like an overly faithful adaptation of the comic book movie or of the comic book, the original book, the graphic novel. Um, whereas Lindelof's reimagining, kind of continuation of the story, to me was brilliant. And I was not expecting that at all because Watchmen is tricky, kind of like you know, it's almost like sacrilegious even to adapt Watchmen because it's such a you know holy text. Of comic books but yeah. the boys to me so brilliantly skewers the genre and modern you know current events and politics and everything i mean the boys is just wicked in all these amazing ways and i cannot wait for season four which is now filming
1: mm-hmm.
3: you know
2: getting back real quick to the Watchmen, the 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 first movie it literally if you watch that movie and you have the comic the graphic novel it's frame by frame it's, yeah, it's storyboard yeah, I mean, not every shot, of course, but there yeah, are but... some shots throwing them out the window. I mean, you know, so the dog, so many things. You go, oh my god! He, and he says he did it, obviously on purpose, It wasn't by accident. But it works, as I mentioned before, when you're reading a comic book, it, it, these panelings, these panelings, they're like you know storyboards. This is a movie, and that's a prime example of that. You know, and Ryan sure. Turek in the, in the Horror Crowd talks about that specific thing: the the panels in the movie, the, in the, the the images of, you know. And, and, so anyway, anything else about the horror crowd you wanted to know, Kevin? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, the, yeah, I, I think it's just like you're all talking about these different kind of inventions in the horrors genre, and these different things that motivate you and compel you and brought you in and kept you in. Like, what has been maybe something that you've seen recently that has been like oh shit that's something really different something new that some charles just
2: saw something
0: <laughs> i did
2: yeah when you talked about san diego
3: oh uh, well yeah i mean prey was was fantastic i mean oh, yeah I, I don't know if that is i mean it's kind of like again it's another genre genre hybrid it's sci-fi horror action um historical yeah sure why not it is um i mean it's and it's it's beautiful it's a beautifully made film because unlike the other Predator movies, which were very claustrophobic and kind of were about kind of creating a pressure cooker environment where you threw the Predator into the mix with these, you know, other people that you kind of hope survive maybe if you cared about them. I don't know if I always cared about those characters. They were like, <laughs> and water, but whatever. Prey, I cared about the characters. I cared mm. about everyone involved. And it was on a big, sprawling, beautiful landscape. And in, in a way, the Predator was almost like the fish out of water versus being like, enjoying, you know, like the, to me, the, the predators and other movies sort of enjoyed the hunt. They enjoyed the pursuit of what they were doing or they were, you know, they were, they were basically like, uh, those, those assholes that go to Africa and shoot, shoot elephants. Right. It's like those, those guys that just like kill to kill this new predator was different to me. This, this new predator was like a serial killer. Like this guy was coming to just enjoy the, the blood lust of taking down his prey and, mm. and, and found formidable, you know, um, characters that were survivors that knew how to survive on off the land. So anyway, Pre- I thought Prey was really beautifully made and a, and a beautiful reinvention of, a, of kind of a stale franchise, like a franchise oh. that had potential, but kind of like went flat for a while. And mm. now I think the predator movies could be totally be reborn and, and continue on with this new sort of idea of throw a predator in a different time period, a different scenario, a different this, a different that.
2: Medieval uh, times.
3: Work. What's that?
2: Medieval times.
3: Medieval times. With I mean, knights. everyone's talking about there should be like a, a, a Shogun, kind
0: shogun. of like, you know, kind I of feudal Japan samurai. story samurai. like that. Yeah, yeah, that would be like <laughs> civil war. You know, there's there's so many times th- that yes, you could just so many eras in history. The Egyptians, you, you, the Mayans, yeah. like credits would just be incredible.
2: Yeah. With with me as far as a, a favorite recent movie, it's not as recent as *Prey*, but it's *Hereditary*. Ari Aster, Aster's uh, *Hereditary* to me, I think he he just turned the psychological family family drama horror uh, genre on its head, uh, and that's very personal to me because the horror of, as I mentioned before, with *Burnt Offerings* and Oliver Reed and his son in the pool is like, what's more horrifying than you think your dad's about to drown you and his eyes are like this, you know? And then with you know with with hereditary, you know, the, the father and the mother and, and the kid and, and the sister, it's terrifying. It's horrifying. So that one really, really, affected me. I think he's an incredible filmmaker and, you know.
3: Yeah. And, uh, and get out. We talked about get out. I yes. think was yeah. really right. terrific. And uh, again, sort of a, a breath of fresh air in terms of yeah. genre filmmaking and, and just the idea that it doesn't have to be bloody it can be, it can be psychologically terrible.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. You know? I love
0: those, uh, love those. Yeah. yeah, us, us. I thought was was great, but th- I think the problem I had with us it wasn't with the film, but it was with the trailer because I, I <laughs> saw the, trailer after the film and I thought it it stepped too closely to this big moment in the film which you if you that, don't that know, happens all the time yeah, I, yeah I, think that, I mean charles what you know when you're you've got a film and then you need a trailer right what what do you think about the way trailers are cut there's you know oftentimes there is so much given away in a trailer yeah.
3: mm-hmm. well you know there's this idea that that spoiling the film with a trailer is a is a recent thing you go back to trailers from the 70s and 80s and some of them give up the whole movie. I mean, like, I mean, completely give up the whole movie. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think th- there are people at the studio and the marketing departments and all that that feel like what good is us making this film if people don't show up to see it? And if giving yeah. away some of the secrets of the film get those people into the theater, then we got we got the money. You know, we got the, the ticket sales and suddenly we're we're, you know, in the black and everything's great. I uh, I approach it from a point of view of like, look, I don't want to be spoiled. I don't want to see anything in the trailer that it, ruins the surprise of the movie, but I, they're preaching to the choir with me. I'm going to go see the movie. If they, if look at those early trailers for the, the original The Exorcist, where it's literally just the logo and then some like kind of flashes of faces and things, gives away nothing, tells you virtually mm-hmm. nothing about the story, mm-hmm. but you see that and you think that, trailer is terrifying i'm gonna see this movie i don't know what it's about i don't know what's going to happen like i wish those trailers could still exist uh but they can't they just can't um and and an alien
2: they don't give away the alien at all in the trailer well
3: that's uh, true that's true um then in the trailer the second i'm sorry i couldn't hear you sorry
2: no i'm saying in in the first one that's what i'm talking about you you don't see the alien that's why it's such a shock when you see it in the movie yeah yeah
3: Um, yeah, no, I, I think that the less you show the better. Uh, I just don't know if we live in that world anymore. I I feel like, you know, every studio person is basically, you know, fighting to protect their job. (laughs) And if a movie comes out and it tanks and everyone looks at you as the one who didn't sell the movie hard enough, you're going to wonder, why didn't I show the alien or the shark or the, this or the, that, um, and it sucks. It it does. I mean, I, I, wish, Movies could literally just come out without, I mean, there, there's, there's an art to trailers where you can get across the idea and the feeling and the vibe and hints of it uh, without going into spoiler territory. Um, but it's, it's very difficult, especially when your film is all about a spoiler. Mm-hmm. You know, when it's all about a conceptual mystery or a secret that gets revealed in the film, people just don't care anymore. If you say, we've got this great thing in this box that we're going to reveal in the movie, they don't care. It's like i mean literally the poster for gremlins right was was uh you know the the, the shoe box with the, mm-hmm. the little paws of the gremlin mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. gizmo coming out and it's like yeah back in the 80s that that sold plenty that was great like that's all you needed now it'd be like literally the full gremlin out on display sure and, you know you know with like you know sparklers and fireworks and the american flag behind them and all it'd be like this ridiculous oversell of of the movie you know but I don't know, man, it's like, that uh, yesterday, last night, Ruben, I was up till like three in the morning, zooming with friends talking about what's wrong with movies today. Ah. I wish we could have recorded it because it was this like far ranging conversation about is film dead, you know, like literally is the art form dead or dying? Cause there were like only 10 or 20 years left. And it's easy enough for us to say, no, it'll live forever. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, man, I'm in this not forever. Of, in, this, in this age of TikTok. And TikTok attention spans, I don't know. I really don't know. Sorry to go I, dark, here, but I, it, it was kind of, it was a scary conversation last night.
0: I thought what Netflix did, I think it was, Oh, was it? I think it was 2020 with Fear Street, where they brought all three films out in the space of, I think it was like nine days. I thought that was really interesting.
2: Yeah, the different timelines.
0: Yeah, because yeah. I I really enjoyed those you know, they were slasher films, but, you know, they, they, it was things we've seen before, but I enjoyed the way those stories were told. Yeah. And the fact that you didn't then have to wait months and months for the yeah. next part, I thought that was a, a nice way of doing things.
2: Yeah, actually, the, uh, my friend's daughter was the one of the main girls in that, the the tough, kind of bad girl, uh, ah. Ryan, Ryan Simpkins, the blonde, you know. Uh, that, and then and she was great, and I thought. The, the, the show was, you know, hit or miss. But uh, some of the acting is good in it, as most things are.
3: But, but it, it, does, that, does that go to the point of people prefer to binge entire series or seasons of series now that that's kind of what people want to do? Like they would rather spend, you know, 10 hours over a weekend watching an entire season of something versus watching an installment of a movie one year and then the next year and the year after that. Is this kind of a hybrid version of that where it's kind of like you've got three movies ready to go? that come out in a short period of time, but it's basically like a glorified TV series.
0: I think, yeah, kind of. Yeah, I would say kind of, but I think when you've got a great story, right, that's so compelling, like June, you know what I mean? Like, oh my gosh. What Villeneuve did with June was incredible, and I cannot wait for the next one. I'm a bit irritated, I go away two years, but I just, I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go for the next one. And I- Imagine how irritated
3: you would be if the first film tanked and it oh, said Dune no. part one and you're like, wait, what? There,
0: there wasn't, <laughs> there's no part two now? I yeah, I thought they were filming them back to back. And then when I heard, oh no, they filmed the first one. and it, and it And it wasn't even if it's a success, it had to make that certain level of money to get great, and I was just like, "Oh my god, you know, <laughs> this needs to work," because it it'd be so irritating just to get part one, and then that's it.
3: <laughs> well, that's a, that's a curse with films that that hype a sequel before that films even come out. If you look <laughs> at like Buckaroo Banzai, that ends with you know, wait for the next episode, you know, against the World Crime League or whatever. Like they tease the sequel at the end of Buckaroo Banzai, and then there was never that. Um, young Sherlock Holmes tease the continuing story mm-hmm. post-credit mm. that never happened. Remo Williams, the adventure begins and ends. You know, whenever you tee up a sequel with your first film, you're you're in really dangerous territory. So Dune was pretty ballsy to come out with Dune Part One right out of the gate, but they did, and then it paid off.
0: Mm, mm. Now, is there anything that you would really want to see in Come to Horror or? Someone, you know, try. You mean it like an existing IP, or what do you mean? Something comp- no, just like an, an idea. idea. An idea, wise. Gosh, I mean, I, I, a lot of.
2: I mean, of it, if
3: it's a good idea, I'm sure not going to tell you. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right, Kevin. And I don't appreciate you trying to get that out of us like that. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, there's so many. I mean, like, again, yeah, going back to hereditary, go pray. This new ideas are always malignant. That's, you know, out there, too. It's always happening, these new ideas. And so for me to say, oh, we need one more about, you know, this glass, you know, levitating and killing people. You know, I don't know. (laughs) Come on, Charlie. It's a good idea.
3: Did you say a glass? Okay. Yes. (laughs) Thank you very much. Um, No, there's a filmmaker filmmaker who I wish would – do a horror feature, and that's Chris Cunningham. Well, I don't know if you you know him, but he directed um, a couple of music videos for Afex Twin, like "Come to Daddy," which got banned on MTV because it was so scary. Um, oh. He's done it. He's done. A, he did a, a Madonna video, "Frozen." Um,
2: that's scary. Yeah.
3: yeah. No. Look. Look up Chris Cunningham. That okay. guy is amazingly talented. He's a genius. Mm-hmm. He was actually a. Uh, he was one of the the creature crew on Alien Three. He was working oh. under a different name then, uh, Chris Halls, but. Also, a very sweet guy. I met him. Really nice guy. Um, but he's a genius. That guy, and and creates terrifying, nightmarish visuals and edits and sound. The way he melds all that together, I really wish he would make a feature. I don't even know what he's doing now. I, I feel like he's kind of just disappeared into some like amazing. I hope, a hopefully, amazing rabbit hole where he's doing something incredible that will he'll surprise us with one day. But that is the one filmmaker I think horror could desperately use because he's. He's an incredibly powerful creative force, um, and does so much on his own. He did that um, York video, uh, "All Is Full of Love" with the two robots.
0: I love you know, that.
3: Video. That's yeah, guys, he's a genius, and I would love to see it's, him do. More.
2: It's interesting that you mentioned that you know, he was a you know uh, did uh, music did uh, music videos. You said
3: yeah, music videos, commercials. Yeah,
2: I mean, you know, like you obviously, you know, Tony and Ridley Scott, you know, they came out of that. So did Michael Bay, you know, and <laughs> didn't want to mention him in the same sentence, but there it is. And there's so many different ways you can come as a writer. I know so many screenwriters who became directors, obviously, actors who became directors, and, and you know, they come, from, they bring in this different thing with uh, actor director. They really know how to handle an actor and have that shorthand and so forth. Specifically, I'm thinking of like Adam Robatel, who's part of the horror crowd. He was an actor for a long time, and he was like you know ready to give up and this and that, and he you know done some things. And then he 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 wanted he pitched he wanted to do you know uh, Insidious Four. He'd done uh, taken Deborah Logan already, but he wanted to do this you know take this big step. So the the luckily the people uh, uh, Blumhouse knew of taking Deborah Logan, but they still had a list. So he had to like surpass that list. And he brought in a storyboard guy with his last two thousand dollars, and and got got a whole pitch going and presented, and he got Insidious Four uh, the last key, and. And he was an actor who just happened to you know, say, I'm, I'm going this way now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become his director. And that happens with screenwriters and, and so forth. You know, like Sean Keller now, who's a screenwriter. He's now he's, he's venturing into directing that his first short or second short. And I think his first short, directing short. You know, people just come out from all angles, whether, you know, music videos, writing, acting, whatever it is. I, I love that that happens. Mm,
0: I thought that was a, a great part of, the documentary when he was talking about you know yeah. getting insidious war because right and this was a this is an interesting thing that i've seen because you know trying when i recorded a review for this and you know you, you're looking for information right to make sure you've got all the cast list and all of that and i saw someone say that oh it, it, the, the documentary doesn't teach you anything And I'm just, and I was a bit like, firstly, not every documentary needs to teach you anything. But when you listen to the conversations, right, you have these moments when, like, I was talking, yeah, I took the last $2,000 out of the bank and I created this. I mean, that's teaching you something. That's very inspirational and very much a teaching moment
2: for me. There's a lot of
0: people that say they want something, but then they're not willing to, you know, commit on themselves to put everything behind themselves to go, this is what I want. This is how far I'm prepared to go. And the fact that he did that, right? Got a storyboard, went in, showed them everything. That got him the gig, right? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't tell you something. I like sure. what you're doing. Yeah,
2: prepare, be prepared. You know, when opportunity knocks, it's an old cliche, but you, you gotta be prepared. And, uh, and real quick to address what you said that critics said about doesn't teach you. Not only does that moment teacher but I also didn't want to go in there and have this be a tutorial of filmmaking you know that that wasn't I, I had like even more stuff about filmmaking and I kind of trimmed it out I, I wanted it to be more what people can find the film accessible you know find the horror crowd accessible and and it could relate to not just die hard horror fans or even horror filmmakers but just the average person who's mm-hmm. watching this as I, as I was talking about the other day you know the film was in over 40 festivals a third of those were not horror festivals. They were regular, you know, generic festivals. And it and, and also won awards against features that weren't horror, and then this one beat it. So it, it clearly speaks out. And people have spoken to me, oh, my God, this little kid in Scotland, you know, I, I, there's not even a movie theater here, but I saw your festival, you know, online, and, and it really inspired me. I and mean, that's all very, you know, inspirational stuff when you hear that. So it doesn't have to be about... I need to hear more, give, give me your techniques about filmmaking, teach me something. I mean, you know, it's got a, I think it should entertain and teach if you can, sure, great. But it's not like a, it's not a book, like in our know, manual. Here, this is how you make films, or this is, you know. Anyway, what do you think, Charlie?
3: I, I think that, I mean, you're, Ruben, you're gonna hate this comparison, but I, I think your documentary is kind of like, it's like a series of first dates. It's like when you go out, with somebody for the first time and you spend a half hour, an hour, two hours, just sort of like feeling each other out and talking about, you know, what your origin story is, where you're from, what got you into what you're doing, your your take on certain things. But for like, how many people are in this? 30, how many? 37. 37, 37. people. It's like 37 speed dates with horror as like the connective tissue of it all. But like everybody kind of telling their, their story as to, why? Why should I want to hang out with you more? Basically, yeah. what, what's I think the- you
2: and I. I think you and I hit it off on our speed date though, on that bench though, Charlie. That was oh, kind of, of, of course,
3: fun. yeah, no. I mean, it was a romantic bench under a tree. It was beautiful. Yeah. It was great. Well, we
2: were you couldn't see because we're out of frame, but we were holding hands under the frame. Wait. But anyway, yes, go ahead.
3: TMI, please. TMI, TMI. But um, <laughs> you no, know, it's like, but it, it's almost you, you could do like the horror crowd, the second date. You know, and it's like, so sure. where do you go from there? And I feel like this, the, the
2: divorce. Yeah, are <laughs> across <Well>, the divorce.
3: <laughs> no, I mean, no, you gotta you gotta work up to the third day because that's when it gets really exciting. Oh, oh okay. Um, okay. Uh, but no, it's like I feel like it, it. really is a bunch of people just kind of like trying to tell you who they are in a short period of time, yeah. and what they're about, that's and and in so, so many ways, when you connect with somebody, you, you find things there. You have commonalities. You have you, yeah. have you know, you're cut from the same cloth, and you try to focus on those areas, and I think. That's what the horror crowd does. It finds the connective tissue yeah. that brings all these people together, but also per- presents to you, the viewer, like, this is why you should want to hang out with this person more.
2: See, I totally agree with you. Doug. I don't disagree at all with that. I agree with that. It's a don't taste disagree with me. Don't disagree with me. I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to agree. Okay. It's like a taste test. You're taste testing all 37. I mean, not everybody's going to like, you know, Charles. Not everybody's going to like Ryan yeah. or, or, or Bria or Mike. <laughs> No, but seriously, because we're humans, and you got thirty-seven freaking humans on there, and they're all talking about this is why I love what I do, my passion. Some people are gonna go, oh, I hate that guy, or oh, I like him, or oh, she's cool, you know, whatever. How can you have thirty-seven people talking about their lives, their past, their passions, their you know, their everything, and and, and you, I love all thirty-seven. That's impossible.
3: So, you should make yeah. a, you, you should make an interactive version of the horror crowd where you swipe right and you swipe swipe left you would get <laughs> a lot of, lot of sw-
2: you would get a lot of good is it right or left when you accept I've never done it so I don't know
3: uh I, 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 I've heard tell that it's right for accept and left okay. for. So you would
2: get a lot right. of right swipes Charlie, I'm sure
3: oh we'll see I don't know yeah
2: but anyway uh yeah so so as far as like oh I don't like him or her or whatever this guy annoys me yeah that's right they're people they're human they some are gonna annoy you you know whether it's co- like watch them in a movie or they're your co-workers, you got 20, 30, 40, whatever co-workers, you're going to like every single one? I don't think so. So that's, that's what it is.
0: But I, I will say, right, there's, there were certain films that I'd seen and I didn't really enjoy them. But I thought everyone was fascinating the way they talked about, you know, the, the genre. Oh, good, good, good. The things they love. Right. Because, you know, but it's like not every film is meant to be for me. Right. No, of
2: course not. I mean, you got Mike, Mike Mendes talking about seeing the Hills Have eyes at age three. That's a very bloody, brutal film. And he's watching because his, you know, family took him. There you go. You know, you got Lombardo and Stacey and and, and Oren seeing the exorcist at age six, he's watching the Hills Have eyes at age three. You know, it's, it's, different but not everybody likes the, the hills that lies you know and, and or, or, or or alien i mean god forbid but you know or the shining or whatever not everybody's gonna like it or the night of the living dead i don't like that it's black and white no no literally you know so um of course that's great that you you, you though can enjoy maybe not the, the movies they're talking about but how they're talking
0: about them you know? yeah it's, it's the passion yeah. Yeah. right? Was, yeah. Everyone had that passion. You mm-hmm. know, everyone from a different background, they're coming at things in a different way, but they all have <laughs> the same passion. Yeah. And I think
2: that's what's great. Yeah, right. I agree 100%. People's reactions to the different movies, you know, Charlie and Cyrus and Ernest Dickerson and you know Mike and Ryan and yeah you know, every thought the, the Watchmen. You talking about Watchmen, you know I love that especially when they're little when they're young and they're watching they reading the, the graphic novel The Watchmen. They're watching Alien. They're watching The Exorcist. I love that because like that just kind of like infuses them with the horror, the sci-fi, the fantasy. Real quick, Russell Mulcahy, you know classic filmmaker, Highlander, you know uh, Razorback, mm. Resident Evil Three, Extinction. He's to me one of the most inspirational moments in, in, in the documentary is when he's talking about how he was inspired. When at age 10, he's watching the seventh voyage of Sinbad and he watches that Cyclops just come across the beach around the rock and he goes, I want to be able to do that. Yeah, every time I see that, even when I watch after you know 50 something times, go, oh my god, yes. And and how many kids out there at age seven, 10, 12, whatever are watching horror movie, sci fi, whatever it is, and saying, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. I think it it, it will continue. I, you know, people will be kids will be inspired by things like that. So yeah, oh,
0: yeah. No, I di- I did really like those mentions of the Ray Hassel Ray. Uh, I can't pronounce his name. Ray Harryhausen. Yes, I because I love Charles them. de la Zurica. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
2: He'll I'll, never forget. Okay, dude, but
0: I can't pronounce names.
2: Okay. It's okay. It's it's okay. you're doing great. Well, he'll never forget your name now, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, you were saying, yeah, Ray. Yeah, no, it,
0: it's just you know, Clash of the Titans. Oh, yeah, the sure. Sinbad film. Sinbad, sure. Yeah.
2: yeah. The Argonauts. I love those films so much. Jason really. and the Argonauts. Well, yeah. Ryan Torek
0: talks about Jason and Men- the Argonauts. Yeah, that's a great one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those, those mentions and like connecting that yeah. with. You know, that, oh, man, I
2: love that's, that. Well, that's the crux of the movie, right? Right? Uh, Ryan Turek talks about Jason and the Argonauts, how his dad had the play set yes. of Jason and the Argonauts. You know, when you move Jason around in a thing, and he goes, and that, that inspired him. One of the things besides comics and other things. Mm. I just thought, yes, I, I love Jason and the Argonauts and all the Sinbads and all that. But yeah, they each had their thing. They they each went in a different way. Darren Baussman talks about, yeah, I had these little books of the mummy and Dracula, and he's holding them up. I've had them since eighth grade and taking them with me. And Mike goes, Oh yeah, my Dracula figure action figure. And I got the Wolf Wolfman too. You know, I just think that that stuff is fantastic. Seen to yeah. the minds of these kids who became these people, these filmmakers, these artists. Very, I think it's very inspirational.
0: Oh, Man, it, it it was it was really great. I really and on that note, we, yeah, <laughs> we can. I, I, AJ was, I, you know, she was right again. She she hit me up and said, "You want to watch this?" Oh, good. And good, uh, good. yeah, she was not wrong. So, oh, I'm glad
2: to hear. It. I'm really happy to hear that. I just want to, to the audience out there, one last reminder: you can pre-order the Hard Crowd today on iTunes and Apple TV. It'll, it it premieres next week, week from today. But get it now, you get that discount price. That's a pretty good discount. So it's like 60%. I'm not joking. 60% off if you pre-order it now. So uh, do that. And and you know, thank you, Kevin, for having us. Charles, as always, is like our fourth. It is our fourth time doing this, I think. Pretty sure. We did you know, one yesterday, two before, one with Michael Lombardo. This is our fourth time. So it's always a blast and always educational. And I I, I don't care that we disagree on some things because we're the horror crowd.
0: <laughs> and, and how do you follow you and keep track of um oh, yeah.
2: you are Sure. Well, Charles and I are both on, on Instagram and and uh, uh I'm on Facebook, you know. I don't know if Charles is as often awesome. he's he's a big Twitter guy. He's on Twitter uh oh, at Lazarica everything. Yeah, yeah so at everyone, LaZarica. I there for easy, easy I X-E-A. saw that
3: yeah.
2: Yeah, with me um, uh mostly t- most quick, mostly Instagram and Facebook. I'm on Twitter, but I don't know. Under my name Ruben Pla, R-U-B-E N-P-L A or the horror crap. At at the horror crowd, it's also all three on that. Yes, Charlie, you were going to say?
3: No, I'm I'm just I'm on everything. I'm on everything. Yes, you are. I'm 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 a a social media whore
2: It's fine. Well, you got that half right anyway. But anyway, uh, no, 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 stop! Shots fired. No, 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 no. You've never charged. But anyway, um.
3: Oh the, the fourth and final uh, interview we do
2: together. Oh, it? no, it's not. I love you, Charlie. You know that, buddy.
0: Anyway.
1: Oh, man.
2: So that's yes. it.
0: All, all success with the film, man. Thanks. I, I really did enjoy it. And yeah. I, I think Charles is right. You could do another one. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I believe me, that's uh, back here somewhere, and I've been
2: asked that a lot of times, what's the sequel, Hard Crowd 2? I'm thinking maybe the sci-fi crowd, in which, you know, Charles here and, and Rob Meyer Burnett would feature prominently, you know, uh, maybe, put up, to be perfectly serious, uh, depends. Let's see how this does, where it leads, if any offers come in, if it's more documentary and kind of stuff, yeah, sure. But I also with my narrative because I have a lot of narrative scripts I've written, you know, ready to go. So let's see where it goes. Let's see, uh, you know, where it leads. So I don't want to commit to anything. Outstanding.
0: Outstanding. Cool. Well, gentlemen, again, thank you very much. I really appreciate the time. It's been great talking with you.
2: It's been great talking to you, Kevin. Thank you so much. And thank you, thank Charlie. You,
0: Kevin. Thank you. All, all right. Great. All the success. You, all right. All right. Okay.
2: Take care. Bye bye. Hi everybody!
0: (laughs) How great was that, right? How great was that? And be great. Look, if I don't like something, I'm not going to like. how much I enjoy it, right? So if I six years, old, honestly, like, no, I still push oh, it right? Right? Like really right? I right? going to I I so, I'm going to say, 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 I'm going to i i am going i am going to 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 Right, and you know, you've been was so great and crazy. Right. so know. people, all the links are up in the episode, information, right, and generating 50 funds, right, if you order it, there's a discount. that's why I'm bringing it early. we've got to accept the actual job, but we're bringing it early to benefit from that discount, people, so, Make sure you hit the the link in the information, you know what I mean? Follow them, do all of that, Alright, so that's us, and if you haven't checked out part one, don't forget. Okay, and until next Alright, until then, Good.